0: excited for this word this morning. And um, it's just like my heart is like wanting to beat out of my chest. I'm kind of nervous. I don't get to preach as much anymore. My hands are sweaty. Does anyone else get cold, sweaty hands? You don't have to answer. You're watching on a TV screen and I can't hear you. Um, anyway, so uh, to start out as I was thinking about Acts chapter 8, um, you know, I was, I was just thinking about the story and praying about what, what to talk about. And, and one of the things that came to my mind was, was how much I love someone who can be a lot of things at once, Right? Like, does anyone have friends that they can just be a lot of different things all in the same moment? Like, uh, for example, some of us have friends and they're just mostly serious. That's just kind of where they lean. They just tend to be pretty serious people. And yeah, might have some friends like me who are mostly goofy, right? They just tell a lot of jokes. They're kind of always looking to make a funny comment, right? You know, that's not fair. I'm nuanced. Okay. I'm not just a funny guy. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. But I love those friends that, in the same hour, they can make me laugh so hard, my abs hurt, uh, and then make me cry, and then I can pray with them, and then we can confess sin, we can worship the Lord, we can do all of it. For example, I've got a friend who will remain anonymous, and you'll see why, but uh, me and my friend were in house church together. This was a few years ago, and uh, this is one of my best friends, and uh, you know who you are. And um, we're in house church, and I mean, we're praying together, we're like breaking open the word confessing sin, like having just a really cool night. I mean, like the Holy Spirit's working in my heart. And then as I'm praying over the house church, he just lets one rip. I mean, just straight up air biscuit, like big toot, like it really goes on and it like totally shifts the mood. And I just, my first response was just to laugh. Why? Because I love somebody who can be like super serious, super authentic, pour wisdom into my life and also just rip one in the middle of a prayer. Now that might not be the friend for you. And honestly, I would, I would deeply understand understand that that's the case. But that's a friend for me. I love someone that can be a lot of things at once. And you know, the truth is, even if you don't want a friend like that, all of us are a lot of things at once, like all the time. At any point, I can ask you, how are you doing? And if you don't give me the quick answer of, I'm good, and you really think about it, you can go, well, okay, I'm, I'm good over here. I'm hurting over here a little bit. I'm kind of annoyed in this area of my life. Like, if you just think about your life, you know you're a lot of things at the same time. And I think God created us to be this way because life is kind of crazy. It's up and down, it changes, and we carry a lot of things. This is the reason why um, a good icebreaker for a group is highs and lows. Like, hey, what were your highs and lows this week? The reason that's such an effective question is because you've probably had a few of both, right? Same human, same heart, highs, lows. And today, we're gonna look at a passage in, in Acts chapter eight, one simple verse, verse four. And it's super fast. If you're not paying attention, I think you'll miss it because I believe this verse kind of shows us that, that we really can be a lot of things all at the same time and that that's actually okay. And I believe it's a, a deep gift from the Lord. Um, but first, I want to recap our journey through Acts. So if you've been with us in our prayer guide, you know that we're reading a chapter of Acts every single day. And today we're in chapter seven, but I'm preaching out of chapter eight. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> No, never mind, it wasn't a funny joke. But anyway, let me recap the first seven chapters so that you can, you can know like kind of what we're getting, to, getting into when I read at chapter eight, verse four. So the stakes have been raised in two ways in the first seven chapters, okay? The stakes have really been raised. So the first way that the stakes have been raised is the gospel is spreading. Like the Holy Spirit has touched down. The church, the Christian church, as we know it has been birthed, and the gospel's just spreading like wildfire. I mean, like thousands and thousands of people are coming to believe in Jesus. So that's one way. The second way is persecution is spreading. There are people in power that already killed Jesus. Well, they thought they did, then he resurrected, and, you know, but they don't like the gospel spreading for whatever reason. Their power is being threatened. And so, now there's more guys preaching the gospel of Jesus because Jesus is alive and they're going, okay, if you keep doing this, like we're gonna hurt you. But they're not just threatening, they've actually like, made true of their threats. In chapter seven, Stephen was preaching the gospel and he was stoned to death, he was killed. And so there's this like crazy climate where the stakes have been raised, both the gospel is spreading and it's spreading like wildfire, but also persecution's going on. And it's really serious. And the people in Jerusalem where all this started and is taking place are no no longer safe to preach the gospel of Jesus. They're being imprisoned and they're being scattered in droves. It's going crazy. It's just a crazy moment, really. And we're going to look at this verse in chapter 8, verse 4, and it's so quick I've never noticed it before this week. But we're gonna unpack it because there's so much richness here, I believe. Here's the verse, it simply says, "'Now those who were scattered,' right, what I just referenced from the persecution, "'those who were scattered went about preaching the word.'" All right, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And if you're like me, time and time again, I've just glossed over that. But we're gonna take some time today to really examine it, and we're gonna cut it in two halves, and we're gonna go one half, out of time. So let's start with the first half. Now, those who were scattered. Okay. A lot just happened, I believe. So I want us to remember something before we even get into the details and the nuances of this passage. You got to remember um, like pen and paper wasn't really a, a thing back in the day. I didn't like super study how all this worked. But I know that that parchment paper was like expensive and kind of a luxury and that I'm assuming it was very time consuming to, to write things down on this kind of paper. I don't know what animal had to die or how they made the ink or any of those things. But all I know is writing was precious and there weren't like bound books everywhere. And so when you're writing, I just imagine that you don't have a ton of time to like give every detail, every nuance to every story. You kind of got to get to the point. And so when we read scripture, I, I, I do think it would benefit us. That we wouldn't read it like an Instagram post where words are a dime a dozen, but instead read it carefully, slow down, think about what it's saying, and try to almost picture it, okay, what's happening here? And so that's what we're going to do with those who were scattered. So I want to bring light to that word scattered because it comes from this word, uh, diasporan. And if you don't know what that means, I do, but only because I looked it up. And it, it, The root of this word means the scattering of seed. And so just picture a farmer with like a lot of seed in his hand, literally just throwing it out. And just the seeds going every which direction. This is what's happened to the Christian church of Jerusalem. It's being scattered throughout the world. And I want to slow down for a second and talk about what it meant that the Christians were being scattered. And I want to invite you to consider five different areas of their lives that they were being scattered there's five different areas of their life where I believe they were being scattered in ways they weren't ready for. So, the first is the kind of the obvious one. So, they were being scattered physically, right? So, the place they called home, or for some, the place that they had come to hear about Jesus, the place that they were living in at the time, they were no longer welcome. So, So all the physical spaces that told them, that oriented them and made them feel at home, they were gone now, they had to go somewhere else. So like the restaurant, they met at every Friday, the place they worked out in the mornings, the the sounds they were used to hearing, the chatter in the marketplace, the classic meetups. like Did you ever have classic meetup spots growing up? For me, it was the parking lot in between the gas station and the McDonald's. (laughs) I'm from West Kentucky, and I'm proud of it. (laughs) And uh, I don't know about you, maybe you met in someone's house, but we met in a parking lot. Um, Sometimes the Walmart parking lot when we were feeling frisky. But anyway, um, those classic meetup spots that you go, man, like, that's the kind of thing I think of when I think, "What, what was home like? It's like you drive by and you go, oh, that's the spot where me and the squad hang out. Like, they had those places too, right? Like, they had these spaces where they would meet together and worship, or they'd meet together and grab a bite to eat, or they'd meet at that one spot where they always liked to fish. It's like they had these places that were familiar to them that that told them, okay, this is home as I know it, right? And all of a sudden, like kind of snap of a finger, there's persecution and they're scattered. So the first place that they're scattered is physical. The, The second area in their life that I believe they were scattered was mentally. I mean, this is crazy. You know, we have routines. If you're like me, you like having kind of a routine. And I believe they probably did too. It's like, okay, Mondays look like this. Thursdays look like this. I know where food comes from. Every Friday night, me and the squad meet at the local seafood spot. Like, this is how we do it. I know where I'm going to sleep at night. I imagine they had a calendar. Maybe they drew it on a wall with a rock. I don't, I don't know. But I'm sure they had some sort of plan for their life. New Year's resolutions that they'd already given up on. But, but things that mentally, like they were just aware of the pace and the habits and the routines of their life. But now... They've been physically relocated, and everything is new, right? Like, hey, where's where's food going to come from? Actually, like, where are we going to where, where are we sleeping as we're going to the next place? We got to start knocking on some doors, right? Like, hey, what about our kids? Like, how are we going to take care of them? And all of a sudden, everything that was routine was different. And I think if if you'll slow down enough and consider how different that was, I mean, it's like. Whew, Wow, that's, that is, that's 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 a mental weight. You got a lot of problem solving to do when this happens when you're scattered in this way. Number three, they were scattered emotionally. I mean, so many of the things that provided emotional comfort, things like safety, security, certainty, predictability, all those things had been shapen, shaken. I mean, just remember, just right back in chapter seven, just a few verses earlier, Stephen dies preaching and believing the very things they are preaching and believing like, this is what is at stake here. And so they're scattered. And it wasn't like, I think maybe they knew on some level, because they watched what happened to Jesus, that, that they might suffer persecution. But I don't think they knew the timing of it. And it's all of a sudden, it's, it's that moment where you're going, oh my goodness, a tornado hit. Like, oh my goodness, a bomb just went off. Oh my goodness, a global pandemic is here. It's like, it's that kind of moment. It's like, whoa, a lot is going on. And, and for the Christians then, I mean, someone they knew or someone who was connected to someone they knew had been arrested or killed or something like that. And if you just consider the concern they must have had for their physical safety, not only where is food coming from, where am I gonna sleep, but also what's today hold in regards to our physical safety for the people who are looking to imprison us. If you just slow down enough and think, "Oof," I bet they had a, a, quite the emotional toll on them, right? They were scattered emotionally. Number four, they were scattered spiritually. I just imagine this season had substantial spiritual implications. Because these people, they believe in God deeply, right? I mean, they're not going to stay in Jerusalem and just lie about what they believe. They're scattering because they have no intentions on denying their faith. They're leaving home because they do not intend to stop preaching, right? I just imagine the prayer life, and I, I don't want to look too far into this. I, I, can't, I don't know exactly how this was, but as I was just thinking about it, here's some prayers that I just imagine were being prayed. Like, God, I know you have a plan. I, I know that, kind of. Like how? What? What's going on? How's this? Seriously, how's this going to work? <laughs> you know? Like God, I know You're present, but man, this feels dark, and I feel a little alone right now. Like God, I know You're sovereign, but I'm I'm pretty confused by this moment. Like God, I have faith. Give me more faith, though, for real. <laughs> like I got it, but like, reload me. You know what I mean? This is hard. Like, God, I know you're going to come through. I know about the literal Red Sea, and I know the metaphorical Red Seas. You've parted in my own life, but this next Red Sea is, like, extra big. Can you part this one, too? Like, I'm nervous. Like, I just imagine some of the prayers that were going on. Imagine the spiritual toll of this moment. The last area of scattering, their relationships. If you think about Acts 2, 42 through 47, which I'm going to reference a few more times, so you might want to read that at some point. But they're breaking bread and they're praising God. This is before any of the scattering. But the church is like just breaking out. I mean, it's like really awesome. Like everyone's being super generous. It's like mikasa sukasa. Like we've never seen it before. Like relationships are so sweet. The birthplace of the church. Like it's exploding. Like Billy Graham on steroids. And and all of a sudden, there's a scattering. Like I just imagine old and new friendships alike. You ever met someone? And 10 minutes in, you're like, look, I know we just met, but we've been best friends at the soul level for eternity. You know, like those like awesome connections where you're like, you're just dreaming like, man, one day we're gonna be 80 just sitting on a porch talking about the good old days, This is gonna be awesome. It's like those friendships existed then too. Like friendships like that where it's like, man, it just feels like we're gonna do ministry forever together. And then all of a sudden, there's this scattering. It's like we all know this, physical roofs and beds, they don't, that's not what makes home home, it's the people that make it home. And all of a sudden, I don't know how this worked. I'm sure groups went together, but I imagine there wasn't a ton of picking and choosing. I don't think there was like a friendship draft. Like, all right, you're on my team. It's like, you just kind of had to go. Take your family and go to safety. Just think about how much relationships change there. And if if you can't tell yet, I'm trying to draw a parallel. And it's it's not a complete parallel to our situation now, but I think there's some things to consider about our situation now where we've been scattered so, a few things. First, a lot of us have not been physically forced out of our homes. We have not had to flee. Most of us have not. Um, some of us know where we're going to sleep at night, and we know where food's coming from. Some of us don't. Certainly, none of us are facing imprisonment or, or death right now because of our faith in Jesus, at least in the United States. And so, that's kind of where the parallel breaks down. But, but I do want us to see something. I really believe that, that in each of these five areas— You have been impacted. Like on some level, I believe that you have been impacted. Like the physical spaces that you were used to gathering in that told you you're home. You meet up with your friends, you go worship, you work out, whatever it is. Like the physical places that you go on the weekends where you're like, oh, this is so much fun. We love this spot. And because of the pandemic, it's all been stripped away and everything's just weird. The mental and emotional and spiritual weight that we are all carrying regardless of what we're going through personally, just COVID, right? I mean, think about the weight of this last 11 months, the relationships that have shifted the dynamic in our family and in our friends, whether it's because of social distancing or because of the political climate. Like, I've heard of families that are struggling to stay together because of their differences. It's like, ooh, man, the toll of this year. And I just want to say this. If you have yet to slow down and take an hour or more, and sit in the presence of God, and process how you have personally been scattered, man, I think you're missing out on a blessing. I would encourage you to, to sit down with God, and, and to write down each of those categories, and go, God, because some of you may go, I feel fine. I honestly, I've had a great year. Like, feel guilty saying it, but it's been a good year. That's awesome. But I believe some of us we haven't slowed down and went, okay, God, like, how's my mental state? How's it been impacted in the last eleven months? A lot's happened. God, how how are me and you doing? And how has it been? How has my spiritual journey with you been impacted? God, are there places that I haven't grieved yet? I believe there's a lot of us that have yet to really lament, mourn the last eleven months. Like just like, I don't imagine a lot of the Christians like saw Acts chapter eight coming, the scattering. We didn't see 2020 coming, man. There was no, like, planning for that. And there is something about all this change in our world that I think calls on the Christian church to invite into mourning and lamenting. Like, he calls on the church to go, hey, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be impacted, because if we aren't careful, we'll get on Instagram and see a pastor just talking about how all you need is faith in Jesus, and he's going to take care of you. Now, to be clear, I believe that all you need is faith in Jesus, and he is gonna heal you in this life and in the next. And that's more true than I can even imagine. Jesus is so far and above all the present suffering. I promise you that's true. But suffering and the redemption of Jesus don't have to be so divorced. I think in Jesus's life itself, it was one and the same. Like think about the resurrected Jesus showing up, and he didn't show up with no scars. He said like, no, look, this is proof, here's the scars they really hurt. There was real pain, and yet here I am, the resurrected body. Like That's the miracle of Jesus, is that you can suffer and experience resurrection all in the same person, the same human, Jesus. You know, verse 5 in chapter 8, it talks about this guy. uh, His name was Philip, and if you read it, it feels like he just went to sleep in Jerusalem, woke up in Samaria, and just started preaching. It's like, wow, he just has it all together. How did he do this? But I actually took some time to um, use a really good source um, called Google, and uh, they, uh, I Googled, how far is Jerusalem from Samaria? And I learned that it's 23 hours of walking. It'd basically be like walking from Nashville to Knoxville. Maybe he had a donkey, I don't know. All I know is it took some time for our guy, Philip, to get to Samaria, and just started wondering And again, I'm not trying to put too much on Scripture. I don't know this to be true, but I just started thinking, what was Philip praying about in the quiet of the day as he just simply was walking to his next point? Like, what was his prayer life like? Like, have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever seen how raw and real and emotional those things can get? Like, one of my favorite Psalms basically just says, for the first half of the Psalm, it's like, God, where are you? What is going on? Have you forgotten me? Like, oh my goodness, my hands are outstretched. I can't sleep at night. What's going on? It's honest. And I just imagine Philip on his way. I don't know how quick he planned to go to Samaria, but he's on his way, and he's just going. I bet, I bet he recited some psalms that he would memorized, and I also bet he wrote a few of his own as he prayed to the Lord. But I just wanted to state, before we move on to the second half of verse 4, that the expectation of Scripture, I don't believe, is that the Christian go through wounding and hurt and act like nothing is happening. And to pretend like, no, I'm fine, I'm not hurting. Jesus is alive. It's great. It's like, I don't believe we have to be that. And if we're not careful, I think we'll skip over some really important grieving and lamenting with the Lord, like not apart from God, like in the pres- I mean, I could cry right now, like the sweetest place to mourn the sweetest place, the most safe place to process grief and frustration and anger and bitterness is with God himself. So, we're going to flesh that out a little bit more um, as we close, but, but for now, we're going to put that to the side. So, that, that's one. We're not putting it to the side. Actually, the whole point of this is that we're not putting it to the side. So, so we're going to, we're going to transition to the second half of the verse, all right? So, we're going from scattering to, then it goes, they went about preaching the word. And when I read that, Uh, They were scattered and they went about preaching. I'm like, how? how, 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 how did you go through all of that and go about preaching? Like I thought about, like if the New Testament was being written about my life, it'd be like COVID hit and he spent the next 11 months dizzy and disoriented and tried really hard and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't, all caps, LOL. And like in scripture itself, it'd be like LOL, what in the world? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's like, wow, like how am I reading this? And it's going like, it went about preaching. And so I want to look at this and go, man, how do we go about being faithful to Jesus the midst of being scattered on so many levels. And you may be going, Josh, you just said grieve in the presence of God. How are you already asking me to preach? Because I believe that all of this can coexist in the same human, the same heart at the same time. I believe that grief contains glory and glory contains grief. It all happens in the same person. And I really believe there's some soul-sustaining rhythms that were happening in these people way before Acts 8 gets here that are really important that we can learn from. It's over the long haul, okay? So as I go through these, I want you to remember that the scattering and the soul-sustaining rhythms happen in the same person at the same time. So this is not a, hey, are you hurting? Here's five things you can do to feel better. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there are real things that I believe God is inviting you into that will heal your heart over time and will give you strength that it's hard to even comprehend. Like, peace beyond understanding. Like, that's a real thing that's really for you. So, anyway, let's look into this. All right. First, soul-sustaining rhythm I want to look at. as, And often I'm going to be jumping back through the book of Acts, listing a bunch of chapters. You don't have to turn there. Don't let that confuse you. Um, I'm just trying to tell you where they are in case you want to know. Okay? All right. So, they were committed first to prayer and the Holy Spirit. Man, they were so committed. Acts 2, verse 1 And you get this picture of a group of Christians that are under the instruction of Jesus and they gather together and they are just praying and waiting in anticipation of the Holy Spirit's direction. Oh, it gets me excited. Like there's this understanding for them. We gotta have prayer, no other way. Like we need the presence of God. Like when you're praying, you're acknowledging your God, full stop, your God, end of story. I'm not, need you. Like, in a big way, like, like God, I, I need a touch of heaven, and I can't put heaven on myself. I need you to do that, <laughs> right? Like, God, will you bring your Holy Spirit? Like, it says, Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you, and we won't pretend to be able to. Like, we need you, Holy Spirit. God, our Father, Jesus, our King, Holy Spirit, lead us. Like, the birth of the story of the church is marked, check this out, by waiting on the Spirit of the Lord. Not grasping for control, not making a 10-step plan, like going, Holy Spirit, we're waiting. Mm. Ethos, I encourage us to be a people of prayer. We don't invite you to prayer every Sunday at 5, except for today. But we don't invite you to, every Sunday, to, to prayer every Sunday at 5, or to join us at 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. every single day, or to come to the in-person prayer things during the month of February, because we Google trendy churches, and that's what trendy churches are doing. <laughs> it's like, we do this. We invite you over and over and over again, so much that you're a little annoyed by it, probably. We do this because we believe that the presence of God inhabiting our lives and our church is the only way we will actually live out being the body of Jesus himself. It must be spirit-led. It sustains our life through the highs and lows. It keeps our eyes on heaven, so that's first. Second, soul-sustaining rhythm. These people, I believe, were rich in their dedication to the Scriptures. Acts. Chapter two, verse 42 talks about how they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. As I said earlier, paper was expensive, not a lot of bound books, so what they leaned on is teachers that would teach them the words. They had leaders preaching the gospel of Jesus, going through the Old Testament, and they would just, I just picture this, I know they had a deep, they were very good at memorizing scripture, and so they would just hear scripture taught, they'd meditate on it, they'd memorize it, they'd recite it, they'd meditate some more, They'd memorize it, they'd recite it, and just, man, just treasuring the Word. They loved the Word. Imagine if you didn't have a book at all. What would you do with important words? You'd try your best, like, please don't leave my brain. I gotta get you down here real quick, because I'm about to forget. Are you like me? Like, it's like, I gotta, I got I, I forgot it. <laughs> you know, it's like, these people are reading, they're hearing the Word, and they're going, I gotta hold on, they're hungry for it. Mm. And when someone was teaching the the, the book of Isaiah, and it got hard, and it got confused and They didn't go, hey, you know what, never mind. I'm just gonna go buy a devotional book down the street because this is all just kind of easy. It's like, no, no, no. They were hungry, they said, okay, let's wrestle this out together, like, I gotta get this out. I don't feel like they had devotional books back in the day. Maybe they did, no, they, I don't think they did. Anyway, <laughs> they had the Word of God, and they deeply treasured it. They were so committed to it. That's number two. Number three, they worshiped the Lord, man. Woman, they worship the Lord. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, you get this sense that they praised God. It says they praised God for the good things they did. For the good things that God did. They knew who deserved the glory. They knew who deserved the praise. They had this habit, whether in high or low, of just praising the Lord. I think about jumping ahead to Acts 16, the story of Paul and Silas. They're in prison, in chains. And what do they do? They sing hymns to the Lord. Yes, I believe worship's so important. I mean, this is why we keep leading you in songs and worship on your TV, computer, or phone screen. We know it's awkward. There's a reason we tell you to keep trying or to try something different. It's like because worship is so powerful. I might even venture to say if worship's so awkward for you, you need to get more comfortable worshiping with your friends in your home. That's another sermon. But I have a story about why worship's so powerful in my life, or at least one example. I think back to last year. My wife got in a car accident had to have emergency surgery on her intestines her spine. We weren't sure if she was going to live or be paralyzed. We just didn't know what was going on. By God's grace, man, she, was, she can walk. She's fully healed. She's doing awesome now. Don't get distracted. I know that's a sad story, but I want you to hear something that God did for me in this season. Mm-hmm. About a month into her recovery, her mom was visiting and helping her. And uh, I said, hey, can I, I need to get away for like an hour and worship the Lord because uh, a few mentors of mine had taught me just to worship the Lord in the highs and the lows. And so I get alone. I just start singing to the Lord, headphones in out loud not pretty, (laughs) singing to the Lord, journaling, listening, finding reasons just to praise God. I, I can't put words to articulate this. God just does something special when a broken heart worships him. God does something special when a broken heart sings his praises. I believe in the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. You've been handcrafted to worship the Lord. It's so important. These people were committed to worshiping God. Number four, they were in it together. Man, they were so locked in together. Way before Acts 8, like they were together, they strengthened each other. Acts 2 and Acts 4 tell stories of them sharing their things as if it wasn't their own. Like they had no concept of, hey, don't touch that, that's mine. It didn't exist in their language. They literally said, if it's here, it's yours. It's mine, it's yours, it's yours, whoever needs it, right? Acts three says they were going out in pairs, healing the crippled and preaching the gospel. In Acts four, they're threatened together. And what do they do? They huddle up and pray for more boldness to keep preaching in spite of the threats. In Acts six, there's a group of people who are hungry and they're complaining, they're saying, hey, look, we're not getting as much food as they are. So what do they do? They come together as a community and they problem solve how to do this together, and they feed the hungry. Like this squad knew how to take advantage of having other people that loved and followed Jesus, and you better believe it empowered them when they scattered. They spurred one another on. Man, we need friends that help us love Jesus in not subtle ways, like that explicitly help us follow Jesus, surrender to Jesus, no matter the season. You need to be that friend who helps your friends follow Jesus and surrender to Jesus no matter the season. Friends help friends love the Lord. Friends help friends trust the Lord no matter the season. Number five, they were preaching long before Acts 8. So when we see in 8 verse 4 that they went about preaching, this was already a rhythm in their life. Check this out. In Acts 2, we see 3,000 people come to believe because Peter just got done preaching what I got, to think, was a crazy sermon. Acts chapter 6, when the group of hungry people are complaining, check this out, the leaders start figuring out how to feed the hungry, and they go, look, we need to like assign a subcommittee to feed the hungry because no matter what, the one thing we cannot stop, no matter the crisis, is preaching the gospel. They had already practiced, no matter the circumstance, the gospel will be preached. Now we're gonna problem solve over here, but we're preaching the gospel, non-negotiable. In Acts chapter seven, you've already heard me reference Stephen, but he's preaching the gospel and he's being stoned for it, which means large rocks are being pelted at his body until he dies. I mean, this is the perceived worst case scenario and what does Stephen do? He keeps preaching, rock after rock, stone after stone, keeps preaching and as he dies, he says this, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Preaching is so important to God that as Stephen was losing his life, Jesus made sure that Stephen knew he was right there in the audience, giving him a standing ovation, listening to Stephen give the most important sermon of his life. Before Acts 8 ever gets here, it's in their DNA. No matter the circumstance, even death, The preaching goes on. So when we get to chapter 8, verse 4, and we see this real quick fly-by sentence, they were scattered and went about preaching. I believe they had been locked into soul-sustaining rhythms that were shaken but not broken, and it held their heart as they were scattered. And so whether in grief or good times, they had a commitment to prayer, to the Word, to worship to each other and preaching the gospel. And so Catching my breath. I believe that, that you can be scattered and simultaneously have soul sustaining rhythms. And you can be a person who goes, Man, I'm broken. I'm hurting. And I'm still committed to Jesus. And I know He loves me where I'm at. He sees my broken condition. And He's not rushing me. And He's going to heal me. Like all of it can happen all at the same time. Like it's okay. Please hear me saying, It is totally okay not to have it all together. And it's totally okay to follow Jesus in full surrender as he heals your heart. He is all in on a broken person being his closest friend. So we as Christians, we don't ignore the impact of being scattered. So I've said this a lot, and I'm going to say it one more time. I urge you to process the last 11 months. You have space to process your grief in the presence of God. The jobs you lost, the weddings canceled, the holidays that never happened, the loss of loved ones, the tornado, the bomb. God is not absent. He is not ignorant to your hurt. And I would encourage you to hurt with him, to tell him, and to listen to him. He's invested in walking with you toward healing. Now, as we close, I'm gonna give us a few hows. Like, how do we do this as a church? How can you do this as a person? But no one-size-fits-all kind of answer here. We're all different. And that's why I definitely would urge you to just discern this with the Holy Spirit. But here's some ways that I believe you can participate in processing being scattered while engaging with soul-sustaining rhythms, all in the same person, same heart, so that first one, that, that, that prayer rhythm, man, we just see it in the life of Jesus, whether high or low. When the crowds were demanding to see him because they wanted to hear the best sermon of their life, he would escape and pray alone with the Father. When the crowds were demanding to see them, see him because they wanted to kill him, he would go alone and pray to the Father. You just get this sense from Jesus, he had to have prayer. I believe he did, and I believe we do, so prayer is so big. So I would encourage you, get alone with God this week process this whole teaching. Like mark it out in your calendar, go somewhere just to process this stuff. The second thing I'd like to tell you about is freedom prayer. So freedom prayer is something that that our church offers that I think is really powerful. And we take precautions to make sure you're safe and with COVID and all that stuff. But it's where you get in a room with two or three people and you just literally get into the presence of God and they help you. They've been trained to help you just sit in the presence of God and just talk to the Lord and listen for the Lord as God tries to minister, as God seeks to minister to your soul. And I can't put the best words on it because it's one of those things you just kinda gotta see it to believe it. Freedom prayer is a safe, safe place to be broken before the Lord with brothers and sisters that love you. You can sign up at ethoschurch.org slash freedom prayer and it's free, that's not a plug, it's free. We're doing it for you. And so if you're interested, get in the chat if you have any questions. Some of our pastors online will help you. The third way you can lean into prayer is to participate with us. I mean, we're in the middle of praying and fasting for the whole month, and so download the prayer guide. You know the links, ethoschurch.org awaken. Pray with us every day at 9 a.m. or 7 a.m., 9 p.m. Join us in whatever way you feel led. Number two, the scriptures. I would just commit to reading the scriptures regularly, whatever that looks like. The word goes to work on a broken heart. I know that might sound crazy, but it really does. And so if you're not someone that's committed to the word in this season, I'd commit to the word and watch what it does. You can join our reading plan. It's on the prayer guide. That's online at ethoschurch.org slash awaken as we're reading through the book of Acts together. Number three, worship. Oh, man, I just encourage you to worship. Whew. In the privacy of your home, in a car, at a park, wherever it is, I'd encourage you to lean into worshiping the Lord. Watch what he does. He's gonna heal your heart. I believe that for you. Number four, community. Whether it's two people or 20 people in times like these where we're socially distanced, make it a point in your life to have someone in your regular point of contact that loves Jesus and helps you love Jesus. Whatever it looks like. If you're going, I don't have that, and it's like the hardest season not to have that, pray for it, hop in the chat, reach out to us, we'll help. We wanna get you plugged into that home gathering or something, we'll make something work. And then lastly, preaching. Declaring the goodness of God is so powerful for both your heart and whoever's listening. Preach the gospel with your life and with your words. Testify to who God is. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see open doors and windows. Like, God, whenever you move and whenever you're wanting me to declare your goodness to someone, whether in a small or big way, my testimony or scripture, but whatever it is, when you open the door, I'll do it. Will you just give me eyes to see go about preaching the word now listen admittedly this was a long teaching full of a lot i think i had like 27 points so if you zoned out at any point one i feel you but at some point this week come back to it rewind to the last thing you remember and keep watching i think this is important for us i think it's important that we process and we grieve in the presence of god and we also lean into god and continue to follow jesus even with broken hearts especially with broken hearts okay so we're about to worship go to communion and we'll have communion questions up at the end, and I just encourage you to process this with the people you're with, in your homes or in the chat, um, whatever it looks like for you to process. Do that. Let me pray over you, um, and then we'll we'll get into some worship. Okay, God, I'm. I mean, I'm out of breath. So I know, I know this was. Uh, we covered a lot of ground here. And I just ask the Holy Spirit make it simple for us. Whatever one, two, three, four things that are just like. You're just making it clear in our hearts that you're, you're trying to talk to us. We help us to pay attention? We help us to process it, Lord? God, I'm so grateful to you. Jesus, you wept. You were not absent of emotion. You were not absent of pain. That's, what, that's, why you're, that's why you're so amazing is that you felt all of it and still gave your life for us, still live a life of perfection. You still offer hope and salvation. You still resurrected from the grave. Oh, you're amazing for that, it's unbelievable. Thank you for how you mourn with those who mourn. Thank you for how you do heal our hearts. You do strengthen us. You do give peace beyond understanding. You do help us to preach the gospel. Even as we're being scattered, you anchor us, Lord. You give us strength we would never have thought we could have had on our own. Thank you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to go to work lead us, lead our conversations. I pray that they're so fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen.